Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Hey, welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. You can like seek for knowledge all the time and try to study and learn and everything, but never come to a knowledge of the truth. I just, I'm feeling this freedom as we talk about the doctrine of Christ just being, you get baptized, you get the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then you continue to feast on the word because it tells you what to do, and you listen to the Holy Ghost and learn how to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit being the Spirit of God and Jesus, and that shows you what to do, and that's that's the teaching, that's the learning. It's like, that's going to be your constant teacher, the Holy Ghost, as you read the Word of God, but it's not like you have to learn a whole list, like you said, of the Pharisees, or you have to like learn a whole checklist of what to do, and oh man, we do that a lot, even in some of our scripture reading programs and do this many chapters a day and do this thing and pray, but it's about listening to the voice of God. Amen. How did I, how do, how, how does that? that not be the message <laughs> of every listening to the voice of God so that he can teach you how to. And it's like, you can hear that. You can hear someone say, listen to the voice of God. But yet when you consider in the context of everything that you just said, and kind of in the previous podcast where it's like, no, the whole point is Jesus says there's this gate he wants to bring you through because that fully authenticates you to begin a relationship with the Holy Ghost that is real, legitimate, and no one can take from you. And then it's in that that you live and breathe and move. And like you say, then you listen for God's voice, but it's in a different way. It's, it's you know, it's, it's through all this journey that it becomes real and the thing that you long for. I'm having, um, I'm having regrets because, you know, my son's 16 and um, I know my 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 hold on him is really um, starting to, you know, loosen and and um, it doesn't have the effect that it has, you know, when he's younger and he's he's gaining his own personality and experience and starting out on his old ways on his own ways and um, you know I, I know we've taught him life life lessons and he's a good kid but I wish I I should have told him more to. Um, be baptized and, and grow in relation with the Holy Ghost and, and focus on your ongoing internal relationship with Jesus. You know, instead I'm trying to teach him A, B, C, D, and E, and hey, don't forget that, and how, you know, but it's like I should have led him more to the great teacher instead of me trying to fill in all the time. Mm-hmm. Boy, brother. I'm sure it's it. not the only, I'm not the only one to have that regret. No, the but. person sitting across the table from <laughs> you is thinking, I wish I could go back and reteach my children from the beginning because of all these truths that have been in our hands forever and we get sidetracked, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we, we get competing, competing ideas that sometimes, uh, kind of, si- they, they sidestep us to think, no, this is the more urgent thing. We, we got to prove that the church was restored and all these things. And these are things are facts. They're not, they're not myths or lies or falsehoods, but yet sometimes we've used that as to thinking, that's the message that Jesus has commissioned us to. That's the first and foremost and kind of only thing is we got to tell that. And it's like, no, I think he wanted that to be self-evident, that it was in the way we lived and breathed and moved with the Holy Ghost in the interactions with the people and life and everything, that it became evident you're of the church. I, 
this is going to, I don't know of any way of saying this without it sounding somehow like pointing to me or boastful or brag. I, I'm just going to tell you this story. I did nothing to, to make this happen. But years ago, uh, when I worked at this company, I was an employee there. And, um, you know, people come and go. There's office people, workers, engineers, you know, there's turnover. But there was, for a, a few years, we had a woman who was an office administrator at this plant of about 100 to 150 people at different times. And one day, I can't even remember how it started, but she said, can I ask you a personal question? She said, what church do you go to? And and I said, I'm actually a member of the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's what it was named back then. And she said, you know what? This is going to sound funny, but she said, I almost guessed that. She said, only because I've known a few people who go to that church, and they're just different. So there's just something different. And she she was like saying this is a good good thing. Mm-hmm. It's like she wanted to know. And then she named another person who I, I won't say his name on the broadcast, who, who worked at the plant at the time. And said, and what about him? Is there any chance he goes to your church too? I said, yeah, he sure does. I think and, I know because yeah, I worked there for a while. Yeah, exactly. And it was and it, it was it my wasn't, yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Well, it was, I was just going to say it wasn't that time period when you were there. But oh, this, okay. whole, this whole this whole thing could have been just as easily. This this whole point was that for anyone, if the Holy Ghost is present in your lives, there is a. Um, you're supposed to be maybe in a way different. You know, this scripture that says peculiar people, I'm sure it doesn't mean peculiar in the odd sense, right? It means this whole idea that God wants something to to shine. And so... Uh, owned by, yeah, that's, I, I can't stand when we use that in the church in that context that, well, we're supposed to be peculiar people. Yeah. I mean, that's not what it means. It means, I, th- I thought I read it, it means to be owned by him or to be, to be called or, or... Really? Yeah. That sounds so much better. Yeah, it's not to be, it's not to be twisted the way we twist it. Yeah, and it's like we've done enough things that bring peculiar condemnation, mm-hmm. you know, for for various reasons on us. But I just, uh, anyhow, I, you know, we were talking last time, and I don't know if we want to do this uh, right now, but this idea of baptism not being the only point or like the end point that really is the gate. And now you've got this broad journey in front of you with the Holy ghost, with the word, there's a scripture that's used commonly in a lot of churches that says they, they look to Romans chapter 10, verse nine that says, Hey, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, you will be saved. You know, that's basically what it says. And I just wanted to take a minute if possible or two to, do a little study. And this is something that I haven't known until just recently when I've been kind of studying baptism as far as the Book of Mormon says, and then seeing the Hebrew nature of Scripture, how it's very evident in the Book of Mormon, and it's obviously evident in the Bible too. No one would doubt that. But the way that Scriptures are presented when they're presented in context, you get two things. You get you get to see that the Hebrew ideas of parallelisms carry over but the point is that in the parallelisms, they're supposed to teach ideas of higher value, higher understanding by comparing things and contrasting. And when we take this one scripture, Romans 10, verse 9, the common one about confessing with your mouth, when you extract that out as a single verse and then decide this is the mantra of Christianity, this is, this is all it takes, this is, uh, our, this is all we need to know about salvation, you realize we did a great injustice that we were lifting out 
a message not to just any Gentile who picks up a Bible, but to the world about what's actually a prophecy of Israel returning to God. And and it's a great Hebrew parallelism. You're you're taking one little piece. If you take the if you take the one verse out of the parallelism without the rest of the parallelism, you can't see what the point was because you don't see what it was contrasted to or compared with. You know, you just get a line. Mm-hmm. And this this whole Romans ten nine was part of a much larger parallelism. And I just thought it might take a few minutes if people have their Bibles, we can we can open it up and, and look at it. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, um do you need some coffee first, Mike? No, <laughs> okay. no, no. Okay. no. Well, I'm going to pull it up on the tablet, though. Yeah. Well, so what's interesting to me is um, Romans chapter 10 actually starts in Romans 9. And we, we already see this in, in the Book of Mormon where chapters and verses were added by people who were just trying to divide it up and make sense of it. But sometimes they divided it right in the middle of Hebrew poetry or Hebrew ideas. And such is the case here. Um, the conversation, you can actually pick it up in Romans 9, starting at verse 30. And if you're in the King James or the inspired version, the, the words are pretty much all the same. But starting at verse 30 in Romans 9, Paul's asking, he says, so What shall we say then, that the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. Now, just looking at that verse, some things that jump out is when you see righteousness used three times, you know it's probably Hebrew. They like that stuff. We've talked about it in class. Repeating the same word, you know, Hebrew scholars got eight pluses from their Hebrew teachers for doing that, right? (laughs) Yeah. But but where he's going, and this sets up the rest of the next 20 verses, is right here. It's a comparison in verse 30— of the Gentiles with verse 31, Israel. He says, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it was by the works of the law. Now, now, what is all this saying? Yeah, It's used the word righteous now uh, five times in, in two or three verses. And where, where this starts is going back to what is it talking about when it says the word righteousness. Well, it's meaning the, doing the law of Moses is it, what is one way that, because it says the Gentiles followed not after righteousness, meaning they didn't do what you guys think makes you righteous. The law of Moses is that right? Exactly, exactly. And so, to use a little cross reference, where he's just using the code word righteousness, you can go back to Deuteronomy chapter four, verse eight, and you you read these words from Moses. And these were Moses' final words to Israel. He says, What nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I set before you this day? You know, so Moses is talking about the law of Moses that they were all under. So backing up to Romans 9, verse 30, he says, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness doesn't mean they weren't good people. It means they weren't following the law of Moses. Moses. Exactly. They've found Christ. He said they've attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. So it means, hey, they didn't grow up in the law of Moses, but they understand that Christ is salvation. And then he's contrasting that. You see where this is starting to build up here. But Israel that had this law of Moses, the law of righteousness, hath not found faith in Christ. In other words, he said they have not attained the law of righteousness. Now, for most people, reading righteous and law of righteous and law of righteous and righteous and not righteous— Everyone would like think this is confusing. 
But once, and this is where the Book of Mormon shines again because it so clearly identifies that the law of Moses was the thing that pointed us towards Christ. Mm-hmm. It's, it's exactly the message of the Book of Mormon. Alma 16 says, hey, every wit pointed towards Jesus Christ. And here's where we, we were talking earlier about it's, you don't look at the, you don't, in the Bible, you can't look at a scripture and then say, okay, how does this apply to me? You have to look at the scripture as who's speaking and who the audience is and what the culture is and what the message is and then say, how does that message apply to me? See, this is, this, we can't go in here and say, right, you know, we, we can't follow this verbatim. We, we're having, we have to understand what he's saying to people that believed in the law of Moses because verse 32 says, they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. So Israel uh, didn't, wasn't seeking God or Christ or to have faith in them as the powerful almighty Savior. They were, they were doing the works of the law, and so they stumbled at the stumbling stone. Which is Jesus Christ. Yeah, so we have to look and say, so how does that apply to us today? What, what has our stumbling stone been? Because we, would, we would say as our church, well, we believe in Christ. We believe in faith. So what, you know, we, but the same circumstance can happen to us. Well, you weren't righteous, or you didn't become righteous because of what? You know, that's how you apply that to to us today, and we could go in when we have into any number of things that we stumble at. Let me bring up King Benjamin. Now I'm gonna. We'll stay here in Romans, but I wanna. I wanna give an example of how much light the Book of Mormon brings to this conversation when you consider King uh, Benjamin's words. This is in Mosiah chapter one, starting at verse one ten in the earliest version. The Lord God saw that his people were a stiff-necked people, and he appointed unto them a law, even the law of Moses. Signs and wonders and types and shadows he showed them concerning his coming. And the holy prophets spake unto them concerning his coming. All right, so you get the, the law and the prophets and all these things. And verse 113, and yet they hardened their hearts and understood not that the law of Moses availeth nothing except it were through the atonement of his blood. All right, so now back to Romans, which you just read. They stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it is written, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. This is quoting Isaiah, Isaiah 8, 14, Isaiah 57, 14. Jesus was the stumbling stone, and and Isaiah uses the same language. He says, I'm going to lay in Zion a stumbling stone. And so, what Paul is doing is wrapping his arms around a lot of Israel history, and he's simply saying, the Gentiles who didn't have the law of Moses saw Christ, and they following him. Praise the Lord. He said, Israel that had the law of Moses couldn't see that it pointed towards Christ. And as King Benjamin points out, they hardened their hearts towards it, and they didn't realize that the law of Moses availed nothing unless it brought you to Christ. Well, let's keep going, because now I'm getting excited, so the chapter shouldn't break here. It should keep going, but we're in chapter 10 now, right? Exactly, and this is the point, is that the the people who decoded this didn't realize this was a large message, and it wasn't two separate messages. So he says, so whoever believes on him will not be ashamed. And now, now you continue into Romans 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Well, that's a great verse to start a chapter with, but it's concluding what he was just saying about Israel missed Christ. Right. They had the law. He was Jesus was this thing they stumbled over, and now he said, but I want them to be saved. So, 
so again, 10.1 isn't the beginning of a new thought. It's the continuation of the previous idea. So now what he leads into is how they're going to be saved. And so, again, what we're building up to is this reason why, I'm just going to say, evangelicals have done such a disservice to Christ by just simply isolating a single scripture that we're coming up to and saying, here's the whole doctrine. It's right here. No, no, no. This was a message to Israelites who didn't yet recognize Christ, and they were still pointing towards the law, as they still do now 2,000 years later, thinking this is where their salvation is. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, did you want to say something there? No, no. Just keep going because it, it, this is a perfect point, uh, and I that I've I'm so thankful to people that are that have pointed this out. Other students of the from other religions that you don't you don't take this word and make it your mantra for your daily walk because <laughs> that's how you get deceived. You got to look at the whole message to the people then, like you just said, they were stumbling because of the law of Moses, and they weren't being saved. So, yeah, go on. So he continues, uh, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So it's like they hear about the Holy One of Israel. They hear about this God who brought their forefathers through the desert by a cloud by day, flaming fire by night, all these things. But they don't get the point. And so... I'm going to throw out a few other scriptures without reading them all. Isaiah 45, 17, Jeremiah 23, 6, Jeremiah 10, 30, verse 10. I don't expect people to look them up right now, but these are going to be online where later you can click on them and see them. What he's pointing out is that they they didn't have their knowledge. And so verse 3, they being ignorant of God's righteousness are going about to establish their own righteousness, having not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. Now, we're a few verses in, but righteous has probably been used for the 14th time here. Mm -hmm. And so being ignorant of God's righteousness is what? The fact that the Holy One of Israel would come down and take on flesh and blood and die for their sins. This is what the Book of Mormon says so beautifully where it talks about, Zenic says, hey, God is angry with his people. Because of the Son. They won't understand the the mercy, mercy because of the Son. Exactly. Because of the Son. Exactly. Yeah. So Paul's saying the same thing, and how Joseph Smith could have had the insight to make this up where even today theologians don't, draw all this together. At least if they do, they're not on my YouTube channels. Or right. I'm not seeing anyone explain this. But when you have the Book of Mormon in hand, it becomes evident. No, there, Israel was ignorant of the fact that God was in his mercy going to bear his own blood for them. And so then they lift up themselves, their own righteousness. They haven't submitted understanding the will of God And then Mm. what does Paul do in verse 4? Once again, just like where he brings it back to the stumbling stone in the previous verses, whoever believes on him will not be ashamed, he does the same thing. This is a Hebrew parallel where he says now in verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So he once again, he brings it back and says the purpose of the law of Moses was to bring you to Christ. I I, I know we're going to go to, we're going to get to that verse that you started out with, but Corey, apply this to us today they just think if it's talking about us today in the church we grew up in for they being ignorant of god's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, so yeah. that you can... Preach it, brother. No, You ahead. can be celestial or terrestrial or telestial based on your own righteousness. Oh, right. Exactly. Being ignorant of God's righteousness. And the next verse says, for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believeth. Amen. That's, Amen. oh gosh, man, to teach something else is just not the, is not the word of God. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's, it and here's, a, yeah, because this, the Israelites are doing the same thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how you take the meaning, I think, of this word, and then you bring it into our day, looking at the, you know, they had their own stumbling block. We don't have the law of Moses stumbling block. We have the law of, uh, of multiple salvation. salvations stumbling yeah, like, block. Like Christ wasn't powerful enough to save us. That's the stumbling block that we've had. So keep going. So Moses, go ahead, five, you're in verse, I've got the King James pulled up, so I'll let you Perfect. read. Yeah, so Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth these things shall live by them. Now, remember what's going on as a Hebrew parallel between the Gentiles and the and Israel. Mm-hmm. You know, we established that already. And it keeps coming back to Jesus that Israel stumbled over, or Jesus is the end of the law, right? So now, <clears throat> what's, what he's saying is, Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law that the man that does these things shall live by them. And the point they were saying, I believe, is this. They were saying that doing the works of the law of Moses um, was obviously what they were commanded to, but this was martial law. The scriptures make it clear that these things were given because of their disobedience. The law was given because of disobedience, not because of righteousness. These were like hitting them with a two-by-four to say, no, learn this lesson. This mm-hmm. all is going to point you to Christ. But but they were misunderstanding, and where this leads is that he says, Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that the man that doeth those things shall live by them. And then he continues, but the righteousness of faith, so what he's, what he's saying is— The hey, best way. Right, the, the, the thing that it's pointing towards. Mm-hmm. Now see how righteousness continues to be used, and the righteousness was a parallel between the law of Moses and the law of Christ. And, the, and, and this, you know, this is repeated through here, and I, there's, there's depth here that I don't understand. There's, there's more to it than I can explain. I, I can tell you that. But what I see on the surface is this. Verse 5 is once again comparing the Mosaic law and the persons, the people who lived under it were supposed to live by those things. That's what God said. Hey, during this finite time, when I've given this law till the death and resurrection of Christ, you're going to do these things. But notice what he says in verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith, now let me interject. When he's talking about faith, again, this is in the larger context of not just simply believing in my head, kind of like when I was mm-hmm. a child, I believed in the tooth fairy. But he's faith, the righteousness of faith means, no, the righteousness of, of all that brings you to Christ. You know, your, your baptism, your receiving the Holy Ghost, your repentance, your faith in his blood, all these things that bring you in through the gate. That's what he's talking about, of faith. Right. It's, you know, this whole journey in Christ speaks on this wise, verse 6, say not in your heart, who shall ascend to heaven? Now, the parentheses here are inserted by the interpreters. It says that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ again from the dead. Now, what did that just mean? Six and seven. <laughs> be honest. Be honest. Just say it. Say it. I, don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. You know why? Here is a perfect example of bad translation in the modern New Testaments, modern in this case being King James. Back up to 
this word, righteousness, which is of faith, speaketh on this wise. That's in verse um, six. six. Or who shall descend into the deep, verse seven. But what saith it, verse eight, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. And that is the word of faith which we preach. Where this is going is this is all because of Aramaic language that at one point was translated into Hebrew, that was later later translated into Greek, and then translated into English a couple different ways and times, where the meaning was lost. This passage from verse 5, 6, and 7 is actually quoting from Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, it's very clear. What happened is they took some words from Deuteronomy, but the guy who translated Romans wasn't the same guy who translated Deuteronomy. And the guy who translated Deuteronomy, he only had to get it from Hebrew. He did a better job with it. And when we go back and read it in Deuteronomy, it becomes really, really clear. So what am I saying? All right. Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 11. Again, we were reading in Moses are reading by, from Paul in Romans some words that didn't make sense. We're going to go to Deuteronomy 30 now and see what the actual words were. For this commandment, which I command thee this day, is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. Now, that was out of Romans. He said, hey, remember the words nigh to you? It's not far off. He's just requoting Deuteronomy 30. Paul is. But it didn't get translated the same. And maybe the translator didn't understand he was translating Deuteronomy 30, or he would have just included those words. But this is what Moses said to the people, Deuteronomy 30. This commandment isn't hidden from you. It's not far off. He said, it's not in heaven that you should say, who shall go up to heaven for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it. This is what Romans 10, Mm -hmm. 8 was trying to say. He's saying, no, the understanding isn't this thing hidden away. It's not far away. You don't have to go to heaven to find it. You don't have to have someone bring it. He said, you already know this. He said, it's not verse 13, Deuteronomy 30, verse 13. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it. But this is Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. But... The word is very nigh unto thee in your mouth, in your heart, that you might do it. And here's the point, that everything they say and do must be of God, the fabric of their being, not simply a sentence that they said once. This totally misses the point. What, what, what the larger message of, of Moses is here is he's saying the words of God, all these things have been given to you so that they kind of become welded into the fabric of your being. And so now it's not like, you know, it's a mystery or it's far away or you got to go across the sea or up in heaven and find it. No, you're going to find this truth in you. And he said, because these are the words that God has given us. And he said in verse 15, he says, see, I've set before you this day life and good and death and evil in that I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and that the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land wherever you go to possess it. So what what he's saying is just simply a summary that all these commandments I've been giving you, he said, they're within your head, they're within your mind. This is what God has been telling you to be led by him, right? You said that he's saying, are you talking Moses, about Moses, Moses or Paul? Right. Moses, okay. Moses. 
Paul is just quoting this, but mm-hmm. it didn't get translated properly. So he says, if your heart turn away so that you won't hear, but be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I will denounce you this day that you will perish, that you will not prolong your days on the earth when you pass over the Jordan to possess it. He said, I call heaven and earth against you this day. Uh, or, or actually, he said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that thou may, uh, that both thou and thy seed may live, that you may love the Lord your God, obey his voice, and that you cleave unto him. For he is thy life, the length of days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you. And so what, what he's doing is he's saying in Deuteronomy, These are the things you're going to do. These are the things you're going to confess. These are the things that you're going to live by. And it all points back to God. That's what Moses' message was. So when we open this word back up in this uh, book of Jacob, I'm sorry, how did I say Jacob? The book of uh, Romans. (laughs) Romans, yeah. When we open up Romans again, we're, we're going to see these answers now to why this was a little bit confusing. So going back to Romans, now in same thing, we're just going to reread it. Verse 6, Romans chapter 10, verse 6, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in your heart, who will ascend to heaven, who will descend to the deep? But what does it say? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and thy heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. That was just about 20 verses out of Deuteronomy right. chapter 30, right? So so the point is he was saying, you got all this stuff from Moses about the law. Go back and read it in Deuteronomy. All these things that he told you to do. He said, but now I'm telling you what it meant. He's saying all these things were pointing you towards the law, which was supposed to lead you to God. Now he's saying this. The point is that you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's what's going to bring you salvation. And he's completing this parallel with right. what he read out of Deuteronomy, which is our famous words from Deuteronomy, was saying, no, he said, all this is leading you towards Christ. This is what you're to confess. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Tied into all of that other stuff, yeah. Exactly. And and then he says, you know, the Scripture says, whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. Um, there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. It's the same Lord. That's what him. he means. That's not to be taken on just its own Scripture either. Who, who Whoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. He's talking, he's contrasting two cultures. He's saying whether, whoever believes, whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, but that doesn't, but that word believe involves all, everything, not just confessing that, golly, man, what a resting of the word to change that into some type of salvation. That's amazing. I had no idea the Deuteronomy connection. And (laughs) people would say, well, yeah, you get the question, well, why didn't Joseph Smith clean it? He he didn't have time to clean up everything. (laughs) No, and you know what? And and here's, uh, I'm glad you brought that up as a little tangent on the inspired version. Um. We, under no circumstances as a people, should believe that because we have the inspired version, and there are some uh, you know, improvements in language and understanding for sure, and there's some information that we don't get any other place, like the Enoch's account and whatever, um, that one, he wasn't working off like a, a Hebrew manuscript and retranslating it. Right. It was by what, that's the reason, in, in Sprite, 
inspiration, right? The inspired version. It was better understanding to his mind, but he also never made any claim that he fixed everything. Mm -hmm. And so I look at a lot of this now and I realize, you know, I, I guess I'll say it on the air because I can say it to you, Mike. Um, and I know we've kind of talked about this recently that when you look at the changes made in the inspired version and, and they're, they're good and they're worthy of our study and, and understand it, that still the better doctrinal information comes from, I believe, the Book of Mormon. If you want a clear and plain understanding where you don't get confused like this in Romans 10, which was quoting Deuteronomy, which, you know, you got to span a lot of scripture and pull a lot of stuff in. It'll make sense from the Bible, no matter what version you use, even the King James, which I was reading from. But the point is, go to the Book of Mormon, and you're going to get the understanding there, and then you can come back and read. doesn't matter really right. which version you're reading from, because then you have the better understanding of the foundation of the Scripture, I think. That's just, that's just kind of my opinion, that the Book of Mormon is going to teach you the truth of the doctrine so clearly you can go back and read the inspired version or the King James, and, and you can get the right information. That's, well, I, uh, that's that's fun to go through. That was so so much clearer in Deuteronomy what that means because I've read that before and the parentheses and all that bring Christ down from. I don't even know what they're trying to say. No, but it's a mess. No, but all <laughs> all he was saying is said the law of God that's been in your heart that you didn't have to travel over the sea or go to heaven to find. He said these things they're supposed to bring you to God. Now Paul's putting his arms around this and saying, don't you see, this was all supposed to say, don't just confess this law of Moses, confess Christ, right? Mm -hmm. This is what it was. This was the end of the law. This was the purpose of the law that he already stated. And so it's like this beautiful parallel all the way through where if you extract one little verse out of it and try to make this the mantra, it's like you miss the larger point. And again, what this really was, wasn't a message to Gentiles. Paul wasn't telling Gentiles, just say you believe in Jesus and you're saved. Now go find a Bible preaching church next Sunday. You know, like we yeah, heard in the farthest days. thing from it. No, he was never saying this to any of the Gentiles in that regard. He was he was actually telling Israel about the Gentiles. But the point was, this is a prophecy that someday Israel will confess Christ and they will come to him and mm -hmm. be saved. Yeah, and that word righteousness, um, I like fleshing out that meaning too and it's following you know basically following what what you've been given with the knowledge that you have but that that doesn't mean that um well it just doesn't mean what we would say but it means we would say righteousness is you know being baptized and keeping the commandments but to this you know we wouldn't say the law of Moses is righteous anymore. No, but, no. But, but then they're talking about that righteousness was obeying that to the best of your ability and then and realizing that it's just the beginning. It's not the fulfillment. That's why Nephi ends up writing. He says, we keep the law of Moses because of the commandment, but we teach of Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ so our children know what hope to have, mm -hmm. what to look forward to. And, and that's beautiful in itself. So what's interesting, when you come back to Romans 10, 9, and you see this, well, I confess with my heart, or I confess with my mouth, and I believed in my heart. What's interesting is Isaiah 29, 13, from the King James, where says this, Wherefore the Lord said, insomuch that this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and with fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Well, Isaiah 29, 
we, we believe, then refers to how God will, with the sealed book one day, bring them back to the truth. So here's another way where the, <clears throat> the word is brought back around, where he's saying, no, your mouths are honoring me, but your hearts aren't anywhere near me. Paul has this understanding as well when he's speaking in Romans back to these people saying, no, your mouth and your heart have to be here because the problem in the past was your mouth confessed lots of things, but your heart wasn't in any of it. And so there's, there's a lot more you can read into this about the prophecy being fulfilled when you compare that Isaiah was the one saying, hey, your mouth is in this place, but your heart is somewhere else. Paul's bringing it all back and saying your mouth and your heart and everything have to come back to Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, again, it's a much bigger message. Have you uh, – I was wondering if any of the different um, translations in English make that any better or if they're st- they're, they still stumble. Have, has any of the translators gone back? Oh, no, I'm looking – as I was saying, read, that, read a few of them. Yeah. Well, here's the new translation, New Living Translation. Don't say in your heart, "Who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth?" And don't say, "Who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again?" In fact, it says, "The message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart." Well, now that we've been talking, I get, I think I get what they're saying there. The message of Christ, or this understanding of Christ saving us. You know, don't you don't have to go up to heaven to get that message. You don't have to go into the deep and have Christ come back to life again to tell you it. We've already got it. It's in your heart. It's it's close at hand. It's on your lips. It's in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, now it's going into exactly. more of a easy, though, evangelical. Because of what the message has been, I can see where even then it's uh, – that's even more uh, – I think that's pretty – the translators, I think, are trying to make that easy believism in here, a sense. the way they change the words. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart – that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But you can read the same words and put emphasis on different words and have mm-hmm. different meaning. It's kind of like if I said, hey, I didn't say the dog bit him. I could say, I didn't say the dog bit him, or I didn't say the dog bit him, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, or whatever. So it, you can read that same verse and you can say, but if you confess the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. See, we've been taught to say, <laughs> that's if perfect. you confess yeah. the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And, and that's the difference. The point is, all through this, he's trying to say no. The point is to bring you back to Christ. <laughs> well spoken, brother. That's that's so good. Yeah, I get you. For for it's believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It's openly declaring your faith that you're saved. The faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's exactly yeah. exactly. And that's where you know I I had an eighth grade English teacher who used to say this to make the point. You put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, you know, <laughs> that was emphasis on the <laughs> syllable. But the, the point being, we can do it in Scripture and make the wrong conclusions. So, again, Paul didn't have any of us modern Gentiles in mind when he was speaking this. He was speaking to Israel in his day about their failings because they hadn't realized it all points towards Jesus. That's the majority of his writings in the New Testament, said in different ways in different places, to bring them back to realize what the Book of Mormon has been saying all along. Well, thanks for thanks for sharing that. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's one great uh, debunking of a popular scripture taken out of context yeah we'll we'll do a little more with that in class coming up next time and then a few more actually i want to hit uh, three or four of the major ones that do this and show how you know what 
they're all the same thing. They were messages to Israel that have been taken out of context. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's fun to do. The, I always go back. The beautiful thing is that you don't have to work so hard when you read the Book of Mormon, but it is fun to kind of work that hard to go find truth, though, and then realize that hey, this does all make sense. And there's not, yeah. <laughs> there's not a, the misconception is just that it's it's not um, it's not rubbing against the other. It all means the same thing. No, no, and it's not hard work when we remember that we are all just walking each other. Home. <laughs> Until next time.